This program is part of Full Service Radio, an internet radio station and podcast network with over 32 weekly shows broadcasting from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. All of our hosts are Washington, D.C. locals, covering stuff like music, arts, culture, identity, politics, and so much more. Visit fullserviceradio.org for all of our programming and enjoy the show. Full Service Radio is also proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Williams, and welcome to Know Your Scene, a new show from music magazine DC Music Download that airs on full service radio, broadcasted live from Adams Morgan's Line Hotel. On the second and fourth Thursday of each month, we'll explore DC's underground music and arts scene, sitting down with the local creatives behind the city's most influential and noteworthy projects. On our first episode, I am very excited to have Jamal Gray, founder of one of DC's most prolific DIY art spaces, Uptown Art House, musician, creative visionary behind Nag Champa Ensemble, Reganomics, Computer Club, tenacious arts activist, music curator, and I think general jack of all trades, and I'm sure I probably missed something in there. So welcome, Jamal, to the show. Hey, 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 welcome. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. So one word that we're probably going to use a lot in this episode is the term DIY. So for the listeners who don't know what DIY means, how would you define it? And how would you sort of incorporate that in your day-to-day life, you would say? Mm. Well, I mean, I guess the straight-up definition of the the acronym is do-it-yourself. And and some people have adopted the DIT, like Alex Tebeleff and DC DIT, which is like do it together, which is really, you know, a big part of the DIY, um, the motive and the motivation behind that. It's really just by any means necessary um, in a positive way, mostly um, accomplishing and sharing the ideas, um, whatever that may be, you know. So some people take DIY, it could be simply on a, if you're doing home crafts, projects you know what i'm saying that initiative but or it could be on a bigger level um which is like i guess through what we do is like art diy art creating um and uh you know creating and sharing Mm -hmm. and speaking of diy art so i remember when your space uptown art house first opened last Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. and we were talking about how long that you'd have the space right and you would (laughs) said until january and here we are in january and you still are occupying the space and doing a lot of great things there right so what is your vision with Uptown Art House? And uh, can you explain for those who don't know what that is, what you do in the space? Right. Thank you. And it's funny because when, when we first did the interview and, you know, DC Music Download, in general, Stephanie, you've been on top of like really documenting not only what I've been doing, but definitely like the stuff I've been involved with. Um, you know, at that time, it was like we in May, we only knew that we had until June. So we were thinking, so, um, you know, time was of the essence for us. So we were, like, trying to, in a rush at that point, to get things done. Um, and, and that DIY spirit is to take whatever resources you have to get your goals accomplished or at least get close to them. Um, 
so essentially the Uptown Art House is uh, a community-based incubator for progressive-minded artists and activists. And it grew out of work that I was doing with the People's Climate March um, from March and April. And the march that happened April 29th, it brought together a multinational group of creators, artists mostly who I work with, and organizers on the logistics side. And um, it ended up, the march itself ended up bringing 200,000 people close to that to downtown D.C., and I was lucky enough, like I said, to be on the arts coordinating team. I was the music coordinator for the march. So I got to place DC, a lot of DC musicians and some traveling musicians at different spots throughout um, the Washington Monument. We had performances there. We also did a demonstration directly in front of the White House with uh, the drummers from Malcolm X Park, which is a big part of a big DC tra- tradition, rather. Um, and so from there, they empowered us because. They wanted to make sure the narrative was, hey, we came down as this national movement that was really based in New York. We're coming to D.C., but we want to leave some power in the hands of, you know, local organizers. And so we came together to do that, built a coalition. And from there, we've just been working to present, of course, music, as you know. um, That's probably what people mostly know me for is like music programming. Uh, So we did some music programming there. We did some art exhibitions there, as well as we did a lot of builds for the different marches subsequently that happened through the spring and summer. Um, So the March for Racial Justice, which came through, there was a march uh, from Charlottesville to D.C. after the big thing that happened there over the summer as well. Um, And other other activations that we've been able to support. So that's really a big part of our mission is um, putting putting progressive minded people together and also bolstering um, and amplifying the voices of the work that these creatives and these organizers are doing. And for for people who have never run a DIY art space, what does it take to run a venue like that, especially in a city like D.C.? It takes people first. Like I got a really good team of people around um, artists and residents that um, and I want to name everybody over the you know over time, but um, myself and my co-director Parker Blair, um, a lot of it was us uh, managing people and putting that together. You know what I'm saying, and then and then citing certain resources because of course there's a do-it-yourself element to it, but you also want to get the community involved. So you know we did collaborations with people like Funk Parade, even 202 Creates, which is a a city agency. Um, but we, we definitely see the need to, like, overlap, you know, pulling our resources together. But really the most important resource was the people. So getting the people in the know, letting them know what the mission is, and then from there doing the work. I mean, of course, uh, I mean, we're in Cleveland Park section of Northwest, which is an affluent area. Um, and so with that in mind, it's like paying rent was really the first thing we had to get out of the way. Um, and we were able to do that through actually getting some funding help, some grant funding, um, just due to our work for the community and our work uh, closely with a lot of NGOs and PCM specifically. Um, So it's different, I would say, from even your conventional conventional, um, DIY space because most DIY spaces, I would say, in D.C. are really based out of people's homes. So it was different. It's not like a place where we're living, um, even though it served as that sometimes as well, too. But primarily it wasn't that, you know, so it's a big part of it was understanding what was needed in the city, what resources we had at our disposal and figuring out how we're going to pay the rent. And, um, you know, from there, I guess my history in working, curating and presenting shows with different artists in collaboration with different artists and even in collaboration with people like DC Music Download, um, that work was how it was maybe easier for me 
or how I was fortunate enough to be able to handle it is like the combination of the people and the relationships like these that we built beforehand. So I think that's important, you know, knowing your community, really. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that Uptown Art House is located in Cleveland Park, which right. is a little bit more of an affluent area. Right. How receptive have your neighbors been towards what you do and your space? Um, I mean, it's been mixed, certainly. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different, like, divides between the people who work in our space and the people that live in the area. I mean, race is one. Um, socioeconomic standing is one. Um, but at the same time, you know, Cleveland Park is actually filled with, you know, a lot of ex-hippies, I would say, and a lot of, like, lib- liberal-minded, liberally, and at least in a political sense, liberal-minded people. So... Um, as some people, I think, were curious and still may be unsure even what it is we are or what we do or what we represent. We had a good group of people that are like, yo, we want to, you know, volunteer here. We want to give our support. We want to show our effort. Um, they would come out to the live music, come to the exhibitions um, and support. So it was mixed, you know, just like any situation. And I won't just say is, you know, anybody that had an aversion to it, I won't strictly just point and say, oh, this was racism or was this. It was new for people. Like, there's nothing really culturally going on there. I mean, and especially, like, young black folks facilitating something like that. So, it completely new. It was a change, a culture shock to a degree. Um, But for the most part, you know, I think speaking to the nature of, like, who we are and who the artists and residents and the people that we brought in, you know, they had to be receptive to it because it was all positive. They can't really say, you know, aside from some drinking and partying, it, they can't really say like, oh, this has been a disturbance in it. You know, if anything, we've been bringing culture there, um, which is, you know, when we maybe talk to the Cleveland Park uh, Business Improvement District about that, show them some stats about what we can, what we have brought to them and what we can continue to bring, you know. Um, but I, I think it's beneficial for uh, for them, for us being there, because we change the face of even what you perceive Cleveland Park to be. So, And... Outside of Uptown Art House and the impact that you guys had made with the space, mm-hmm. how would you characterize the current state of the music scene right now and mm. sort of where things are headed and the, traje- and the trajectory that it's going? Man, I'm actually, this is probably the most optimistic I've been over the past. Well, I guess say I've been actively involved in, in programming and presenting and, and promoting DC music uh, since 2009 um, when I first came in doing like supporting my friends on their open mics like i was working the doors djing kind of whatever needed to be done um until i found like until i could really build context and perspective because i was living in philly um but at that time that that was the first bubble i saw where it had grown so much because it was a lot of people who with wale's success saying okay well dc is the next market to blow so you had a lot of people that were moving here with that in mind and then there was just a lot more activity like u street would be full with open mics and with showcases. Um, Go-Go was still in the clubs in D.C. Um, there was a big, a big community of, um, you know, neo-soul, if you want to call it that, but just like the soul R&B thing happening on U Street, which isn't there as much anymore just because of the venues changing. Um, so it's like after that kind of period around like 2008 to 2011, it kind of got quiet. And in general, I think music was becoming less regional. So people were less focused, especially the new artists were less focused on like the need to build like a local thing, you know, because music wasn't as regional and the artists that they were seeing making it. I mean, and the story still seems to be is like you have to go outside of your city 
to really have a viable career, which makes sense. You're going to go wherever the infrastructure, wherever the, you know, industry is. Um, so flash, you know, fast forward rather to now, um, you know, with the with the rise of like all of the house shows that are going on and even the new venues popping up um, and the rise of like the DJ culture in D.C. Uh, it's and and. It's more outlets. Well, let I me mean, not say more outlets. There are outlets like DC Music Download, and, and it's not really a lot that we can name. But you know, DC Music Download, for one, has been dedicated to like archiving and documenting what's going on. You know, um, so it gives me hope. If there's more venues, and whenever a city is kind of, I feel like experiencing some, some financial growth, which I think is happening now, then you know. The, then the entertainment industry will grow And I think that's what's happening now And um, you know that'll be the key It's a lot of different voices being represented now It's a lot of different styles being represented And also the how music is less regional Gives artists more freedom So I see more experimentation I'm hopeful for what's going on right now It's a lot of really great acts So you touched on this a little bit about how in the past it seemed like an artist had to go outside of the city in order to kind of further their career. Right. What do you think it takes in the here and now to be an artist and survive in D.C.? Do you necessarily need to go out of the city in order to further your career? Or do you think that we have the infrastructure to make it happen? I mean, I think it's... I mean, ultimately, and I've been hyperly local hyper locally focused um so maybe my my perspective isn't the best because i kind of took the long road by being like so focused locally um i think right now it's a time where you can be based in dc and travel and work and and have you know great producers engineers um and and photogs to capture documentarians to capture like it's a time where you can really get your voice out and I mean, we have the internet too, so I don't think you have to necessarily uproot completely and adopt another city as your home, unless that's what you want to do. You know, I don't want to deter anybody from doing that, but I'm hopeful that like we are building at least um, the infrastructure for an artist to be able to be here, live here, travel and do their work, but still be able to get like the recognition and consideration that they would get living in another city. And then from a financial perspective, do you well, think that yeah. it's, and I know that's like a that's whole other thing. topic. A, yeah, okay, you're right. Do, you're do you right. think it's viable to be a full-time working musician here and be able to, you know, make a living for yourself? I mean, currently, no. Currently, no, it's not viable. But um, I guess it depends on the type of musician you are. Um, for me, I guess, especially with what people know me, is more as a presenter then as a musician, you know, and I, I'm not a trained musician, but everybody in, in Nog Champa, at least, are trained musicians. Um, you know, if I, was to, if, if I was to uproot our band and move to L.A., we could definitely live, and they could sustain off of just doing session work, you know, and being really paid really well for that. D.C. doesn't have that infrastructure yet, but I think it can come, you know. I mean, just like how Detroit was kind of this, this uh, singular space in, like, the 50s and 60s, and Motown was be able, was able to create that thing outside of like having New York or LA right in front of him. Like I think that's very possible in DC, especially I mean, live music is like the root of it, so that means musicians and instrumentalists, you know, are here. So if you take if you look at the resources that are around you, it's once the infrastructure there is there, it's gonna be viable. But right now it's too expensive for like a working class musician to just be a working class musician. You know, which is why I guess I do all the other things that I do really to supplement. And 
what do you think will it take for the infrastructure to come? Do you have any ideas in terms of what do you think will kind of help generate more of that for musicians? Mm. Um, more coverage, more more documenting what's happening for sure is a big part of it, like that visibility. Um, I mean, maybe having some major distribution come through here, some more major studios and agencies looking towards us. It's like the, I guess the people that are part of the structures, the industry, would really have to want to invest themselves here, you know, invest their attention here. And I think it's happening piecemeal, but I maybe, I'm not sure, you know, because I haven't been in like those big board meetings to say what the conversations are like when DC comes up or when artists from DC come up. Um, I mean, I would like to think that artists from D.C. when they're traveling in these meetings are speaking highly of musicians back here. But, you know, honestly, it hasn't been reflected in the work. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think Goldlink has done a good job of including like young D.C. MCs and artists and producers in his project. You know, outside of that, I can't really speak to it. You know, I had, you know, if we look at whoever else, I can't really speak to it. Then Goldlink could be the start of the trend of that. And even him working with like having Kokai around or people like that. It, it seems like he's getting it. He understands kind of the context and perspective he's going to have to build. And um, he may be just, be just the one to put it on his shoulders and like pull it through. Or maybe the next person in line. Who knows? But, you know, I think the trend is going to change. I want to put like the way things have been happening behind us because it's a whole new generation of people. I mean, facilitators, journalists, it's a whole new generation of folks coming in. And, and a lot of us have the perspective of what happened before and don't want to see that going. And then you have older folks that have been involved that see what's happening and want to be a part of cultivating it. Somebody, like I said, Kokai, who's traveled the world as a musician from D.C., who's had these looks and got the, op- you know, people like that. As long as the people with perspective are coming back and helping the younger musicians and we can just all like lift each other up, you know. Yeah. And speaking of D.C. musicians, so in a recent interview that I read um, that you did with the City Paper, you mentioned that local artists have to expand the expectation of their mm. performance yeah. if they're going <laughs> to compete with larger shows. I hope so, they don't take that personal. So I thought that was a really interesting quote that um, was in the piece that you that you said. So yeah. could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we're a live music city. I mean, me personally, like... My my parents were both involved in um, the performing aspect of music as far as um, facilitating and booking. Like my mom, she worked at the Lincoln Theater. She worked with Bill Worrell at District Curators, um, among many things. And she moved on to Philly and, and, and did similar work for the Kimmel Center and development work up there. And my dad, he worked, he ran his own label and then he worked at a bunch of different labels and was pushing jazz. So my introduction to music was live performances. And a lot of these artists were like, really daring artists for their time so my mindset for me and my personal work at least is like well we want to wow you with this performance you know and i think you know part of it is like hip-hop normalizing things but in a sense it's like you know how do i say it? it's like sometimes if you go to a show you can't tell the performer from the people in the crowd but I think you should be able to. I think there should be a differentiation. I want When we step into a place, I want them to feel like, oh, these guys are here to perform, you know? And then when we get on the stage, we no matter if it's a, if it's a house venue and there's 30 people in the living room with us, or if it's Union Stage, which is coming up, or 930 like we play, like we're trying to bring production, we're trying to bring flair, but not in a Broadway way necessarily, but it, ultimately, you know, you want to take it there. I think it's... You can, again, it's the DIY attitude. It's like with 
with the resources at hand, you can make the thing look and feel bigger than what it is. And I think that adds to like your mystique as an artist. You know, if you just come up with your jeans and T-shirt and then, you know, music aside, people are going to perceive it a certain way. So I'm, I'm trying to play with perception. I'm trying to play with presentation and all of that. So it's important. There's some great performers in D.C., but, you know, me personally, my goal here is, you know, I'm competitive and I want to push myself to get better. And I'm only going to get better by seeing other better performers and i'm and vice versa i hope that we're pushing them to want to do more elaborate dynamic performances as well and keep the music good you know so especially with nag champa Mm -hmm. a a lot of your identity is revolved around your live performance and creating an experience for people right so especially in the digital age where a lot mm-hmm. of music discovery is, is found online, right. how do you go about reaching a new audience? That's a good question, you know, and I guess I've been I guess because of how because of the climate and how people receive music, I, we wanted to be kind of the ant- antithesis to that. You know, it's like taking the old the old route almost. Um, and some, somehow we've still been able to remain relevant even with, with all those things considered. You know, I really don't, me personally, it's like, especially because I'm not a, a musician or a songwriter so strong, even though I do, but I create music and I write songs. Like, I don't want to just be remembered for a song, you know, and I think right now as artists, you know, people aren't really making much money off their songs per se anyway, um, especially without like a certain level of visibility. So my thing is like, let's build a story around this group. Let's build a vision there. And and when the music, which we're working on, when that comes, we'll already have a base of people and a base of contacts, um, contacts rather, and people that will have context for what we're doing. And so they'll see it. And I think when we put music out, it's going to be a little bit more lasting. And for the people that find out about it, maybe digitally once it's released, then they go back and look at the story and they can see videos from performances or what have you. Um, I mean, and they'll, then they'll be able to kind of, it'll be more tangible for them. And we'll also have like fleshed out what people like from performances, what people don't like, you know, because we're in the age of the recording of the recording artist, but it doesn't always translate to the live set. And then vice versa, you know, it's a lot of bands that are great live that can't translate that into recording, you know, which has been one of our considerations. Like, well, how do we translate this? But we've been playing with it. Um, but really, you know, we, we, we're a performing group first. And the next thing is, you know, after we put our record and what simultaneously is going to be like us being a production group. So the sound will travel that way. And um, but no, that's, that's something I consider a lot. It's like, all right, how, how we stay relevant in this digital space. And it's like presenting the art in different ways. You know, there's so many different ways to present your vision nowadays. You know, I've done the first things I even got attention for, like around Nog Chomper was when I was doing these these graphic edits. Um, some just like graphic work and I'm not really a visual artist but it got attention um, from like A Creative DC and it just led back to whatever else was going on at the time so you know without having to reach too much for attention you know you got you kind of got a balance between that but you as a musician this has to be more than just the music the story has to be strong it has to be other stuff for people to grab onto. you know all right well we're going to take a quick break but we'll be back with more Jamal Gray yeah right on right on
the break song you're hearing right now. It's called From Nowhere. It's by Space Disease. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Know Your Scene. If you're just tuning in, we're discussing all things local music with musician, visual artist, and activist Jamal Gray. Yo, yo. So, Jamal, um, so you were born and raised in D.C., and you mentioned yes. that your parents met while working at WPFW, which is a local radio station here. Yeah. So, D.C. music is pretty well ingrained within your DNA. It is, it is. So, and I think you touched a little bit about this earlier, but how did your parents influence who you are as a musician today um fully fully influenced uh my parents also my older brother who actually is the vocalist in nog champa i used to steal his music a lot so shout out to <laughs> kwaku um but yeah so like they they both they met working at wpfw so it was music all around all the time um and by the time i was born it's like my dad was into kind of his later years and so he wasn't on the road as much, but he was still actively producing music and stuff. So I got to be in the studio. But honestly, like, you know, I was a real free kid and they never pushed me to be a musician. It was just around. Um, but my brother and sister, they were both into like dance ensembles and things like that as kids. So I would just be around it. Um, and so, you know, my dad was heavy into like jazz. So like Sun Ra, who I bring up a lot. Um, Plunky and Oneness, who's a, a Richmond-based band um, that's traveled the world, and they've been, and it was like the first record that my dad produced for his label, Black Fire, um, and that record ended up going on to be sampled by, like, uh, Jay Dilla was the most famous one for African rhythms, but also, like, Big Pun and Mad Lib and all these other people have, like, sampled from my dad's catalog in general. Um, so, yeah, music, like, from Jump for me was always around, and it was always experimental music, avant-garde jazz mostly, but experimental music. Um, and for the D.C. I grew up in, you know, I'm 31, so, like, the D.C. in the 90s that I grew up in, um, in the neighborhoods that I was living in, you know, reflected what was going on in, you know, inner-city neighborhoods all around the country. You know, I lived in Northeast and then we ended up moving to Northwest, but my dad was in Kenilworth. Um, me and my mom, we were in like on D Street in Northeast, which is like by RFK Stadium. So like these neighborhoods were mostly impoverished, you know, so to speak, or under, underserved, marginalized communities. Um, but my escape was being able to have like performance, performance art and jazz and mu like music around and creative outlets, you know, being able to do like uh, creative theater camps through Living Stage, which is Arena Stage. My mom was working there. And just these different creative outlets I had. Like, they let me be a kid um, and shelter me from certain things. Um, and they were just present. And, and that's and me now being a parent, like, 
seeing how important that is just being present and like not only physically there but like mentally and emotionally there for for us you know it, it saved me from a lot of the pitfalls that i see my friends have to go to through even in like being in this luxury hotel here on um in adams morgan like not far from here 17th street and even euclid street where we on or uh i went to school high school around here cesar chavez was on 14th and florida at that time so the kids were from these neighborhoods and from southeast and so i got to see experience what they were going through um you know um indirectly and even to the point where i didn't even share like okay the fact that i was came from this type of family like we were in the jazz and all these things because it was so different from what their struggles were going through i mean the struggles they were going through rather um and so it just gave me a lot of perspective and uh, i'm grateful for that like having coach i always say like culture was my privilege we weren't really a wealthy family um my parents worked hard but like culture was our privilege and like we were able to experience certain things that i feel like everybody wasn't privy to but we're not the only ones in D.C. whose story is similar to that. Um, a lot of my friends, you know, a lot of them were, were fortunate enough to go to, like, Duke Ellington School of the Arts. And I just say that to say, like, their parents had the foresight to know that, like, we need creative outlets, not only as shelter, but just as, you know, activity, something to stimulate your mind outside of everything that was going on in D.C. at the time. Because it was a hectic city, 14th Street. Um, which is a great place to be now, was very different when I was in high school and middle school and, you know, the things that we experienced. uh, Luckily, I think a lot of it my son won't have to experience because of the changes happening in D.C. I mean, the good and bad, but um, with that said, like, yeah, really it was for me. Like, music was, I didn't even look at it at the time, but it was an escape for me and even just experiencing it, just being away from things that was happening, really. So you mentioned um, that you've seen a lot of change within the neighborhoods in D.C. Yeah, for so sure. So with all these new venues kind of popping up um, in the woodworks, how do you feel that compared to when you were growing up and you were seeing things that venues are in terms of being receptive to the D.C. music community? And mm-hmm. just not only that, but being receptive of different genres of music. Right. Um, hmm. That's a good question. I think right now we're seeing a shift. Because uh, I think the the DIY circuit and the house scene house scene circuit um, reflects like okay, well one there's a lot of interesting music going on and there's actual there's actually um, a community of people whether it's fractured by genre or taste or peer group whatever at this time currently um, there's at least a market of people that are down and looking for interesting music um, and so you know I think. Eventually, you know, as the market, I mean, as most things happen, it's like you build up a market and a taste for something. And then eventually the market gets so big that, all right, it either has to move or it's just going gonna to continue to expand or it's going to stay where it is. But with the venues opening, that definitely leaves room for expansion. Um, so, yeah, I, I think right now, I mean, although, although, you know, I, I will say that Nog Chomp or me in general is a, may be a, a fortunate case because I worked and i can kind of call on certain venues maybe quicker than a lot of my friends can um you know just because of the work that i've done i think the the venues are receptive i mean we got songbird which is right around the corner they've they've um given me a lot of chances to like do cool stuff there um 
Black Cat has been receptive to what we're doing, you know, and and I just want to see more musicians to get granted the same opportunities I have, but also uh, we'd have to have conversations with those musicians about like how do we present ourselves to them, how do we market, how do we you know get these numbers and be consistent when the opportunities come, because that's the next thing is like okay, opportunity comes for you to play at a union stage with your friends or something, um, you want to make sure that you make a big impact, not only for yourself to come and do it again, but for the folks that come in after you to be able to do it, you know? So when we do these shows, you know, it's important for us to come out and support each other in these new venues, like a 930 Club, where recently other fields, James Scott has been able to do multiple shows. You know, the only way, that honestly, that it's going to be viable and them to continue to do that is by us showing up and showing the numbers and showing the venues, spending money at the bar, buying tickets, not just expecting to get in for free because it's your friends or what have you, but like putting our money where our mouth is and saying, look, this thing is viable. We want to see our friends and we want to see the area in general grow. For that to happen, we really gonna have to come together and push, you know, not as one unit, but as a unified front at least. Mm-hmm. And is it hard to, especially for, for musicians here in the area, to sort of reach a new audience who may not be affiliated with the music scene here like what mm. like what's sort of that way of connecting that bridge in your opinion mm. Damn, that's a good question man i mean i feel like part of it is is having um outlets like dc music download to where it's like an outside voice to where it's not only the artist speaking for the artist um and that's important to document it and and present it in a way that's like viable that's clean that's like that people can relate to that's tangible for people you know um, so documenting is a big part of it and sharing. I mean, of course, we want like the national and international press to be covering it as well. But, you know, also, if we have people that are locally based that feel like they have a stake in it, that are willing to invest their time, I think that's great. Like, you know, I mean, primarily at the shows, you know, it it, it is artists. I mean, but I've been lucky to have like, you know, people outside of just the artist community directly that support what we do. And um I don't. I can't really say what the key to that is, but I think it's changing. I think there, there's there's people moving to D.C. and they may just need to be aware of what's going on. Um, you know, we got to somewhat change change um, consumer culture in D.C. Like we definitely need people outside of the direct artist community and more than just the artist friends coming out to support. So we've talked a lot about your music projects mm-hmm. and music in general, but mm-hmm. for you personally. What do you hope you want your music to serve? What do you think is the purpose of your of your music, and what message do you want people to get out of it? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's a good question. I mean, one, you know, we want we want to open people's minds to possibilities. Uh, in general, I guess, like again, like part of my own success was being able to see outside of what was just immediately in front of me. Um, and like a level of imagination and it's freedom to that and I think a big you know part of like how people may not be able to go as far as because they can't see the possibility of what's in front of them or what's ahead um, unless it's like directly in front of them or they have an example so showing them possibilities um, I mean it's definitely like a lot of spiritual connotation to our music Um, I mean in love and happiness is like simple ways to 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 blanket whatever we kind of are trying to connotate but definitely like um freedom is a big part of it freedom of expression um it's it's a lot it's a lot i think it it goes 
kind of in the mood. It works on the mood where we at. And also it's, it's about for us, like the climate of where the people are at, because we want to reach the people where they're at. I mean, to uplift them, we have to reach them where they're at, you know. So it depends. It depends on where the folks are. We want to meet them there. I mean, we want you to dance for sure, because dance is liberating. But we also want you to think and think critically and to, um, you know, open yourself up man. think critically and, and, and be open. That's the main thing, I think. For me, like that's been the kind of keys to my own personal growth is as a person, as a human, um, is to like be open and and to not be afraid to be critical of myself and even of others. You know what I'm saying? Like and, and without being without tearing them down. And so that's a part of it. Is like in the music, we're gonna be cr- critical of the establishment, but we're gonna be critical of ourselves. Or so like, okay, be realistic about what are our own shortcomings. You know, be as, as be as honest in the music i think that's been what's missing is like you know a level of honesty um and a level of caring and stuff in music you know seems like at least popular music it's a lot of like numbness it's a lot of just wanting to party and that that's one chamber of where we at but you know from there it's like we got to lift each other up and we can't just be getting high and partying forever and we can't just be sad forever either you know but i mean those are part of our realities our existence and we experience that too so we just wanted to reflect like a genuine, honest experience of whatever, like the, where the people are and where we are. And with our current political climate mm-hmm. and how crazy things have been, mm-hmm. do you think that your music has shifted in response to that? Or do you think that your creative process has shifted because of it? Yeah, certainly, certainly, man. I mean, it's like with this this collective sense of anxiety and fear that comes. It, it I mean, as much as you, as zen as you want to be, it's like that's that's going to seep itself in. I mean, especially if you're concerned about, like, the well-being of the earth and the people around you, then you can't help but be affected by it. Now, you don't have to make it affect how you move, but you got to, I mean, me personally, I feel things. And, um, I mean, I guess with the new project, Reaganomics, uh, which is consists of... Uh, Myself, Quasi uh, Lee and DeHondo Smith, who are both a part of Nog Chomp as well. This is like an offshoot. Um, but yeah, the climate was, was feeling tense. The climate was feeling a little more radical. I could feel people's fears, and this is all they're talking about are their fears. But in this time when people are fearing, like, I want to come strong. I don't want to come from a point of, like, hiding. Um, and so that's why it's like Ray Gunomics, and we spell it like Ray Guns. Um, I mean, the whole thing is like playing off, of course, Reaganomics in the 80s and how it affected us and directly like as living in living in D.C., you know, being a young black man from D.C., especially like we felt the effects of Reaganomics all in our city and are still um, recovering in a lot of ways from what was going on in the political climate and the socioeconomic climate and like where people were at. Like we're still, um, you know, people are only now just coming home from you know, prison bids in that era during the drug war and everything that was going on. Um, so we want to talk about that. Um, and it's definitely a more aggressive mindset than, I guess, Nog Chombo. You know, when we started, um, a lot of that came out of, I guess, more of my spirit, our spiritual centering. And kind of in the time, I think people were starting to look and open themselves up to um, alternate forms of religion and spirituality and getting deeper into like, I mean, I don't even call it like new age spirituality because all of it is based on like old traditions that some people are just now finding out about. But again, even like goes back to the jazz thing or whatever. Like these are things that we were raised up on and we're already privy to. So 
that's one chamber we were in. And we still can go there. We still do go there with Nog Champa. You know, it's a much more open, flowing kind of thing. Um, so, like, there, the message was more about peace, love, and positivity. Um, but even then, as things were changing, we had to say, look, we have to be use our platform to say, look, it's time to get organized. It's time to be strong. It's time to be connected through family. And then the next thing after that was like, all right, well, after we get organized, you know, certain things still aren't changing. All right, we got to be formal. We got to be we got to be firm and forceful. And Reaganomics is like the answer to that. So both energies exist in us at all times. It's just like at times we're going to tap into different parts of that. Um, we hit as Nog Chamba, which like the people will see the 27th. Um, it, depending on when they're listening to this, we're doing the show. DC Music Download, six year anniversary, 27th. Yeah. Um, so that'll be more peace, love and positivity. But also, hey, we got to get organized. And there's going to be some aggression to that, too, because peace and love are aggressive acts. But then, you know, when we play with Reaganomics, it's going to be much more, you know, we're trying to incite a feeling in you. We want to not necessarily rage, but we want to want you to move. We want you to do something. Um, and it's a heavier kind of rock sound, like electric guitar and, and synth driven thing. So, you know, it's different. I just describe it as different chambers. And, it, you know, music should reflect all moods. But. We know some people ex- expect certain specific from Nog Champa and not to be too much caught in what people want. But, you know, we're going to give you that and some more. And then with Reaganomics, it's a lot more freedom. It's less precedent set. So we can kind of just get completely wild. And so shifting gears, because I do also want other people at home to um, learn more about your influences here in D.C. and, you know, people who you admire. So we went over a little bit about this earlier, but one group that you mentioned was April and Vista. Yes, for sure. Who uh, is is here in D.C. So so what about them influences you and and why do they stand out to you? Um, That's great. That's a great question. And and April and Vista, uh, Matt Vista, April George is a great duo. Um, production writing duo um, and and their sound is very contemporary but you can tell that they have the context of what came before um, I met Matt maybe in 2011 at the time he was producing for um, you know a lot of the local MCs so like Sir EU my brother uh, Avion who passed in 2012 um, and different artists who I was representing and they were just a part of like this big hip-hop community DIY hip-hop community that was growing um, so I met Matt back then and he was a hip hop producer. And then I'm not sure sometime 2016, I don't, I don't even know how I got hip to them as a group, but I listened to the music and then saw them live. And I was just like, yo, this is or maybe actually their, their first show might have been with us. I'm getting dates confused. But either way, I got introduced to the music online and did, did my research. I'm like, OK, this is Matt. Um, and their sound is just very clean. And but it's also. It's hard, um, and it's emotional music, and it has a lot of dynamics to it, a lot of changes. So, like, production-wise um, and execution-wise, uh, to me, they're the most, like, commercially viable group, you know? And I don't want to use, like, pop in a, as a negative connotation, but they make good pop songs, like popular songs that can be popular. And that could be R&B, hip-hop, whatever you want to throw under that, or straight pop music, whatever you want to throw under that label is pop, but... To me, it's like they they make strong songs, and when they perform it, it translates just as well as like it sounds just as good as the record. So, 
Well, let's take one of let's take a listen to one of their songs. Yeah. So uh, let's hear a snippet from Beast, which is one of their singles from their 2016 EP Note to Self, which is an amazing record, by yeah, the way. It's a great one. was Beasts by April and Vista from their 2016 EP, Note to Self, uh, an amazing record. If Go check that out on SoundCloud. And so another group that you mentioned, too, who you're also going to be performing with at our anniversary show, at DC Music Downloads anniversary show at Union Stage, is Fielder. Yes, who, Fielder. Formerly known as Dawkins. Formerly known as Dawkins. And both of those groups, um, James Scott is involved with. Um, and yeah, that was funny. James Scott just Facebook messaged me. I won't tell him what we're doing right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Dawkins, um, I forget the first show I saw them on, but subsequently they performed at the Uptown Art House um, with a show that James set up. And April and Vista were on that show as well. And man, James had been playing me their songs since like 2016. And just like, yeah, man, we get them all in the same place because they're all in college. Like, all right, this is going to be a group. And when I saw them live, I was like, oh, okay. These dudes are like the truth, man. I mean, when it comes to like contemporary electronic kind of indie rock vibes, like, I mean, they're young, but they, they've got really great potential to make a powerful record. And um, yeah, their music is solid, man. So, I mean, I look to them and they do it and they're a great performance group, a great performing group. And the records sound good. The music sounds good. Um, and then they have a chemistry amongst them, and which is a thing that Abel and Vista have, too. Like, you can kind of tell when artists are invested in the project outside of just, okay, uh, I'm coming to play a gig for you behind you. It's like these people are all invested in, like, the vision of their groups. And it reflects in their music. So that's part of why, like, uh, Fielder, formerly known as Dawkins, like that, they stand out. I mean, the music is just strong, you know? And then they got a look, too. And April and Vista, too. So, like, that's part of it for me as well. It's like, do you look like somebody whose record... Or do you look like you would be on the cover of a magazine or anything? You know, outside of, like... I guess the, that's the presenter in me or the marketing mind in me. is like, the music is good, too, but what else? And then both of those groups have, like, the what else, so... So, for listeners who are curious to know, what does Fielder sound like? Well, we're going to listen to a clip from their new song, At Intermission. Type, type. Well, unfortunately, this is all the time we have left for the show. Oh, man. <laughs> this has been such a good conversation, it Jamal. Has, it has. Thank you. And thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. And, and thank you for, like, 
supporting, you know, my ventures over the last, you know, couple of years. Like some of the really most crucial performances and like most memorable performances we had have been facilitated by DC Music Download. I mean, when we performed at um, the American, the Smithsonian American Art Museum, the Loose Foundation, that really, that performance, it, it set a, a new standard for us. I feel like a new standard for DC, but also like it, it opened us up to a whole a whole host of people and then just subsequently you've been supporting like different ventures and, and weird ideas I've had and I've had a bunch of them <laughs> and all of them haven't lasted but you know uh, I did it's definitely appreciated for real well thank you and uh in case you're wondering when you can see Jamal next you can see him at our anniversary show yes. on January 27th yes. at Union Stage which is the newest venue to open at the wharf so mm-hmm. definitely go check them out and everybody else in the lineup we have Shade fielder and og lullabies so yes. all awesome acts here so yes, yes. thank you everyone for tuning in our next show is january 25th at 6 p.m we'll be speaking with steve corn who is the founder of diy music and art space rhizome oh okay so yeah. until then take care and support dc music peace Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts, covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.